Because most of us are dependent on food for survival. That was a test to see how well you're listening. I'd like to spend some time this morning reminding you of the importance from giving up food from time to time. That's right, this morning we're going to talk about fasting. This touches on a subject which is very close to me personally, food. Food is very personal to me. We had uh, a gift exchange with Brittany's family, and uh, there was a little automated secret way of you put your name in, and they'll rearrange them and email you your name, and you could kind of list a couple things that you were interested in for your budget and give some ideas toward the person anonymously. And um, what I put on there was fast food cards. <laughs> I love food. I love food, and I am not embarrassed. Well, I was a little bit embarrassed. Um, it's of no surprise to some of you that out of all the things in the world, I love eating food. And so for $25, I thought, you know what? I can get a couple meals out of that. So that's what I requested for, and I got it. You know what? It's a good Christmas. My doctor told me that intermittent fasting is good for weight loss. I told him that it's not been working for me. I haven't lost anything, and I've been doing it multiple times a day. <laughs> Mandy got it. <laughs> I asked the elders for some time off for prayer and fasting, and they said I could skip lunch for the next two weeks. Sorry, Louie. A church bulletin for a national prayer and fasting conference had made this announcement. The cost of attending the fasting and prayer conference includes meals. <laughs> preaching on fasting is a lot like preaching on finances. We know it's in the Bible, but we don't really want to be reminded of it, do we? Some people think that fasting is, oh, that's just a Jewish custom. It was something that was maybe for the Old Testament, it doesn't really have any value in this church age. You know, we're under this new covenant, we're free in that. It's not a popular uh, topic, you see. And not a single book was written on fasting that I could come up with from 1861 to 1954, for over 100 years. And there were a lot of books that were written during that time. It, was, it, it fell out of popularity within the church. It's made certainly a resurgence in my lifetime. Um, and we've been doing it as a corporate, uh, as a body for um, a number of years now. But it's, it's rather unfortunate, in my opinion, that most well-intentioned pastors have probably never given a single teaching on fasting and prayer. Do you know why I think that is? I think it's because pastors are known to like food. We are, aren't we? I've seen my fair share of heavy pastors. How many, think about it, how many church functions are planned around the type of meal? What do you start with when you're planning an event? What's the meat? Where are we getting it from? Right? Is it barbecue? Is it pulled pork? Is it fried chicken? What's the weather like? And we, we plan around it and then we have an event because we, oh, it's time to have another fellowship. How many times have you ever heard a church committee get together and they say something like, you know, we need to put something on the calendar. How about a time of fasting? I never heard it. We believers love food so, so much. I get it. Fellowship, it's a good excuse to get together. We eat. We break bread. It's biblical. There's precedent for it. I don't particularly like to fast. 
I know people, they, they get a pair of wings when they fast. They see grandiose vidges, visions from God, and all I can think about is cheeseburgers. <laughs> Remember one of these years we were fasting, and I've never wanted a deep fryer so bad. I had filled up my Amazon car- cart with all these cooking things. I don't even cook. I can cook, but I was, I was sitting there. It was so pathetic. I was watching YouTube channels of people cooking things. If you're anything like me, you eat not because you need to eat, but because it's time to eat. Perhaps it's even between times to eat and you still want to eat. I'm like a hobbit. Elevensies. You know, and as a result of not teaching on fasting often enough, I think many Christians don't even understand why it's important. What benefit really is it? What the Bible teaches about it or how to fast, or perhaps even worse, they've never even tried to fast with prayer. Did you know that there is more teaching on fasting in the New Testament than on repentance and confession? There is more, Jesus taught more on fasting than he did on baptism in the Lord's Supper. So why have we done away with this teaching? Now, I know some of this I have taught in the past, but it's been a a minute. It's uh, five years ago, going back to January of 2018 was the last um, dedicated sermon I had. I've mentioned fasting in years past. We always briefly mention it in January, but um, the last sermon I gave was in 2018. So I'm going to brush back up on some things, and this is on the heels of Brother Curtis's last message that he gave on the maturity of the believer and getting deeper in a place with your walk with God. And so I have been praying about um, kind of the next direction of sermons and themes and um, I, I think the Holy Spirit is leading us into a place of kind of some fundamentals as a believer. What are some things that we can do to grow? And um, so that's what I'm going to bark on this morning. It's a refresher of what should be a normal discipline for each and every one of us, not something that we think about uh, once a year when pastor brings it up as a corporate time of fasting. You know, fasting is not going to make you, not going to make God love you anymore. It's not going to make you any more saved. But it's this crucifying of your flesh through the abstaining of foods, which I believe is where the spiritual growth is going to happen on the inside. What is fasting? Well, very basically, fasting is the abstaining of foods for spiritual reasons. The Hebrew word is sum, and it means to abstain from food or quite literally to cover your mouth. And we can talk about fasting, Facebook, and TV, and all sorts of things, but a biblical fast is quite literally giving up food. By staying away from food and focusing on God, we shut up our bodies to and put into action our dependence on Him. And it's in this place of of physical uh, despair, as our bodies become weak and ache and long for sustenance, that we are more aware of the supernatural and God's very presence in in, in our lives. And it's the Holy Spirit that helps us. Fasting is, I think it's one of the most humbling acts we can do. It's a form of worship, in my opinion. It's a good discipline. But it's it's the laying aside of ourselves and saying, God, I want you. I don't don't need anything else. I want to focus on you. I, I need you. Essentially, you're saying, God, I need you more than I need food. And so that's why we do it. It's the determination that for a period of time you're going to deny your physical cravings and focus on 
on your spiritual cravings. When you do that, your spirit, or I have found, the spirit inside becomes uncluttered by the things of the world. And you become more sensitive to the things of God. David said, deep calls unto deep. There's this place of of deep spiritual connection with the Father as we starve ourselves physically, our spirit has an opportunity to commune in a different way than we have ever before. And so from that place of despair physically, our spirit is getting fed and feasting on the Holy Spirit. And it's from that place that we come to know Him and hear Him better. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 if you have your Bibles. It's during this fasting time that we're deliberately letting go of things that bind us to this physical world, namely food, in order to receive our sustenance from the spiritual world. Just as food strengthens and maintains our bodies, it's the Word of God that nourishes and fuels and strengthens our spirit. Matthew 4.4 says, man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. This was Jesus Jesus himself was speaking that as he was finishing up fasting for 40 days in the wilderness, being tempted by the devil. Jesus, in a place of weakness physically, said, look, Satan, I'm not interested in the things of the physical. I'm interested on feasting on the Word of God. It's out of the Word of God that I receive my sustenance. It's been said... If you starve your spirit and feed your flesh, you have a lousy Christian. If you feed your flesh and your spirit, you have a healthy being. But if you feed your spirit and starve your flesh, you will bear the image of God. I want to read this morning firstly in Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verse 1. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you will have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly, I say to you, they have the reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have a reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. Let's skip down to verse 16. Whenever you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they neglect their appearance so that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face so that your fasting will not be noticed by men but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Now, of course, there are many duties and responsibilities of the believer. 
But there are three that are clearly outlined here. And I read those, all those verses, so that you would see the flow of it. When you give, when you pray, when you fast. Give, pray, fast. Clearly, Jesus is making a point that followers of Him are supposed to take up at least these three disciplines. And so in the spirit of maturity, to growing up into that mature man, I'd like to point out that there are a couple more teachings that are found in this passage that we may revisit. Give, pray. But it also, what I don't want this to miss our attention is that the suggestion here, I believe, is that fasting as is as important as praying and giving. How many times do we pray? How often do we give? How often do we fast? I think for a lot of people, and I'm not, gonna, I'm not trying to answer for you, we pray probably mostly daily. We say some sort of prayer, whether it be a blessing over a food, a thanks for God, or asking Him for help for a certain situation. The average Christian may or may not give weekly when they come on a Sunday. Does the average believer even fast annually? That I don't know. But certainly, the implication is that these three disciplines, this three-stranded cord that is not easily broken, are of equal and importance in the eyes of Jesus. He says, when you. This is part of a normal Christian life, fasting is expected to be performed. When you fast. Do you remember when Jesus told John's disciples, they were inquiring why Jesus' followers were not fasting? This is what Jesus said to him. He said, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them, can they? But the days are coming when the bridegroom is taken from them, and then they will fast. The disciples of John were, were worried about why they weren't doing the things that were good and religious. Jesus says, don't worry about that now, and he goes and talks about a, a new piece of cloth being sewn in, and he talks about putting old wine in new wineskins. Matthew Henry wrote this about that. He says, great caution and prudence are necessary that young converts, converts may not receive gloomy and forbidding ideas of the service of our Lord, but duties are to be urged as they are able to bear them. In other words, there's a time coming when the celebration will be over and the disciples of Jesus are going to be mature enough to do more spiritual things, but until then, leave them alone. They will be fasting. Now, we have received the Holy Spirit. We ought to be maturing and getting off of the milk of the Word, and in growing up in Him. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us into all truth. Clearly, Jesus was talking about a time in the future post-ascension. That's the church age. In fact, it's the very opposite of how a lot of people believe. They say, oh, well, we don't need to fast anymore. In fact, we ought to be fasting more. Jesus says, you don't need to worry about it while I'm here, but in the future, you're going to need it. So there you have it. Jesus, not only did He say, when you fast, but if that weren't enough reason to fast, He also said there would be a day coming when His followers would fast. 
Now, there's a lot that we could glean from simply looking throughout Scripture at those that have fasted. Moses, Jesus, Daniel, David. But in consideration of the time this morning that we have, I want to just look at my favorite. Turn, if you will, to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Some of you know who this might be about. There's a certain woman that inspires me. Verse 36. There was a prophetess, Anna, or Hannah, the daughter of Phanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in years and had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage. And then as a widow to the age of 84, she never left the temple, serving night and day with fastings and prayers. The very moment she came up and began giving thanks to God and continued to speak of Him to all those who were looking for the redemption of Jerusalem. This is Jesus being presented at the temple when He was eight days old for circumcision. Being 84 years a widow, the construction of this phrase is not entirely clear, but strongly implies that she was married for seven years and then a widow for 84 years after that. Jews, at that time, considered girls marryable at 12 and a half years. And so if this were the case, it's possible that Anna could have been well over 100 years old. Although she was advanced in years, I don't believe she was old. She saw every day as a gift from God to be lived for His glory. You might say that she discovered the fountain of youth. How? by serving in the temple daily with fasting and prayer. There is something special that is available to each one of us by grace through faith in Christ. Perhaps Anna was given supernatural strength to fulfill God's plan, or perhaps she had long life because she had fulfilled God's plan. Either way, I don't believe that Anna was concerned about her age getting in the way of her service to God. Those who wait on the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not get weary. They will, they will not, not get tired. They will run and not get weary. Luke writes in verse 37 that she lever, never left the temple. Now, I don't believe that we ought to take this literally, but rather to be understood as a loose description of someone who spent most of their time in worshiping and prayer in the temple courts. I will point out that from 2 Chronicles chapter 34, you can read about this. There was another woman named Huldah who was also reputed to be a prophetess. Interesting. And she had an assigned chamber near the temple where she was made to be the keeper of the wardrobe. So it's speculation, and that's all it, may be that, that's all it can really be, is, but maybe that's what it was with Anna. Maybe she was some sort of worker of the temple, and she lived near the temple courts but we can only speculate about that. Further speculation also would point and indicate that perhaps she was a widow on the system. The, the way that they would care for widows in the day would be if you served in, in God in some way, you gave back, that money would come from the tithes and those that were brought into the storehouses and they would be taken care of in that system. 
She served night and day with fastings and prayers. We don't know what capacity it was in. Did she just skip lunch? Did she not eat from sunrise to sunset? I don't know. But I want you to know something. Do you know that you are not too old to be used of God? Got to see my grandmother while we were home for a few days over Christmas break. She's frail. She's in her 80s. She doesn't look much different than she did a couple years ago, although she's convinced she's going to go any minute. She has little shuffling steps as she's not have very good balance. And, um, you know, she has this, she brought the boys in to see this board. She has a board of, a little pushpin board of all the pictures of her um, children and their grandchildren or her grandchildren and then great-grandchildren. And she goes around with, by each, every single day and prays for them. And she out, her, her family's grown so big now that it's outgrown her pushpins, her board. She has no more room. So she's now got a cardboard box that she's pushing pictures into. <laughs> she brought the kids to show them some pictures. And I said, Grandma, we need to get you some new pictures. There's a picture of Sarah from like two years ago. Um, but here she was, and she was, she's mentioned to me several times how she feels like she has no purpose in life. And I told her, and I looked her square in the eye. I said, Grandma... Do you know, I believe thoroughly from my heart that the reason most of your children, all of your children, but your grandchildren and great children are following the Lord is because of the prayers that you offer up. And she said, I wish I could do more. And I just gave her a hug just a couple, this week. She had mentioned how she knew that Brittany and I had had a really hard year. She had said that to Caleb. She said, you know, mommy and daddy had a hard year this year. Caleb said, who? I said, she's talking about us. I said, Grandma, I appreciate your prayers. I know that we made it through because of what you did. Anna served night and day in fastings and in prayers. You are not too old to be used of God. Your service might look a little different than it did when you were 40 or 20. Right, right, Louie? but you can still serve Him. Some of you need to hear this. Some of you need to pray it over yourself. You need to speak to your bodies. I am not too old to serve God. D.L. Moody said this, If you say, I will fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. You are too cold and indifferent to take that yoke upon yourself. Serving night and day with fastings. I think there's truth in that because not eating goes against our natural instincts. That is, true biblical fasting is not eating food. It's going against one of our most basic needs as humans. In other words, there's this strong fleshly resistance to starving yourself for a spiritual breakthrough. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. I've heard a lot of excuses for why people don't fast. The thing is, in my mind, they're just that. They're excuses. I say this in love, truly. I'm, I'm not trying to be hard on anyone here. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I've heard things like, I'm too old. I've heard I'm too young. I'm pregnant. My work is too physically demanding. The Lord hasn't laid it on my heart yet. Yes, I've heard that. I'm too busy. 
I feel weak when I'm fast. I get dizzy. I need to check with my doctor. I have a medical condition. Look, I don't want any lawsuits on my hand, but I wonder what our spirit is saying when we say those sorts of things. Is your spirit willing and your flesh weak, like the Word of God says, or is it that you're just too weak to even handle these things? I can't do it. The Lord hasn't given me His grace to do that. I wonder if you took a leap of faith and trusted in Him what would happen. All I'm trying to convey is that Anna was somewhere between 84 and 120 years old, and God tells us that she served daily with fastings. Why is it that we only object to difficult duties that God expects of us? If God says break bread, we're all over that, aren't we? Where? When? What can I bring? But fasting, that's another story. I just wonder if it's not that we can't fast, but that we don't want to. I made this challenging statement a few years ago, and I'm doubling down on it. I'm recycling this because I like it. I was reading through my old notes this week. I said, our commitment to fasting is a measure of our contentment with the presence of Christ. Our commitment to fasting is a measure of our contentment with the presence of Christ. In other words, how badly do you want to know Him more? What are you willing to give up for it? Is food more important than being like Him? How many of you have ever felt further from God when you fasted? You fasted and you said, I felt like God left me. Anyone? How many of you ever felt closer to God when you fasted? I have. I haven't met anyone that's felt further from God. Why? Because we're starving our flesh in, in order that our spirits can feast. And what is our spirit feasting on? Well, it's feasting on God, spiritual food, the bread of heaven. And when our spirit is being nourished by the vitamins and the minerals of the Holy Spirit, we're going to be in better shape. We're going to be in better shape to hear Him, better to know Him, to know how to pray, to be more likely to obey His voice. When we don't feed our flesh, our spirit gets to feast on the heavenly and it gets nourished. Anna, in her old age, fasted. She was nourishing her spirit so that when Jesus, the boy, walked or was carried into the temple, she knew who it was and began to praise God. I wonder if it's not just because she was prayed up and fasted up in the Holy Spirit. You know, you need spiritual food to grow spiritually. Just like you need physical food to be healthy and nourished and to grow physically. If you don't give a child, you've seen photos, they're heartbreaking. What happens to an undernourished child? Eventually they'll die. What happens to a malnourished Christian? They'll fall away. If you don't feed on the spiritual food, you're malnourished and starving. Jesus says, I have food to eat that you do not know of. They were worried, his disciples were worried about what they were going to eat. What was he talking about? Well, the disciples thought he was being literal. They said, Jesus, did you pack a lunch we didn't know about? You got some hidden pockets somewhere in your robe? 
We didn't see any of you eat anything. Spiritual food, that's what he's talking about, spiritual food. We are looking to grow spiritually more mature this year. It doesn't matter if you're 8 or you're 80. As pastor of this church, I am looking this year to see our walks deepen in Christ, our love blossom, our works multiply. And that's the reason I want you to fast with me this year. Not 21 days, but quarterly, three-day fast, so that we each get in the habit of it year-round. You know what? I think 21-day fast is a great thing. If you want to venture out on 21 days, go for it. But I'm also going to ask you come April that you do another fast with me. Because I don't want us to just think, oh, January's back around. That's that dreadful time where we have to do a fast of the church. I feel like that sometimes. Confession. I want, myself included, I'm preaching to myself here. I want to get in the discipline of regular fasting. Not just once a year, because someone else asked me to. But if we can get into this habit, we can see the benefits of it in our own spiritual walk. Amen? The pastor, isn't fasting supposed to be a private thing? Well, it should be do something that you do in private, yes. But it doesn't mean that it's bad to do it corporately. Throughout the Bible, we see corporate fasts declared by various leaders. For instance, we see a corporate fast in Judges chapter 20 to inquire of the Lord for guidance. The tribe of Benjamin had committed wicked sins, and so all of Israel comes up together against them. And Phinehas sought the Lord out twice after losing in battle. They lost to Benjamin. They thought they were doing the right thing. And so the congregation fasted, they came together, and they heard from the Lord what to do, and the Lord said, go up, and they attacked him. We see in Esther chapter 4, there was a corporate fast called, obviously, for deliverance and protection. Haman wanted to kill all of the Jews. I mean, Mordecai. And, and they wanted to kill all the Jews, and Esther got word of this through her uncle, and they called a fast, and they corporately prayed. She went to the king, extended his scepter. There was deliverance. We see in 1 Samuel chapter 7, there was a corporate fast called and a repentance of turning from sin. Samuel called this fast, and the Ark of the Covenant was returned, and they tore down the Asherahs and the Baals. Corporate fasts are a legitimate thing in the Word of God. Are you worried about fasting in secret? Good, great, do it in secret. Don't bring attention to yourself. Yet, this is a corporate fast, and so it's okay to talk about church members that may be going through it with you. Christians, I believe, are often reluctant to tell each other that they're fasting, and so there's this sort of uh, humility that's involved with it, and there should be. We're afraid to even tell someone, hey, you want to grab coffee? Oh, well, I can't. And you try to find some excuse because you're not supposed to be eating anything, right? Hey, can you come over for dinner this week? No, well, you know, I've got this thing going on. And just tell them, you know what? Um, this isn't a good week or, you know, God has led me on this endeavor and um, maybe another time. But to try and act like we can't talk about it because you know, Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 6, I think is, it's not understanding what Jesus' point of that chapter was. And secondly, it's, I believe, something that the devil uses to deceive us and to keep us from fasting because we're so afraid of talking about it with others that other people don't even know how pious we are and we ought to be. And so there's this silence about fasting within the church. 
We're so afraid of telling people that we're fasting. We're so afraid of talking about, you know, that I prayed for, I prayed for you. I prayed for you. How come we're not afraid of telling people we pray for them? We tithe in secret. We ought to pray in secret. Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that we, aren't, we don't have any opportunities to share about what the Lord is doing in our lives. Joel chapter 2, 12 through 15, another corporate fast. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart and with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. This is God declaring and saying, God is, is speaking out over the people, repent, fast all of you in a form of repentance. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness and relenting of evil. Who knows whether He will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, even a grain offering and a drink offering. For the Lord your God, blow a trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, proclaim a solemn assembly. Did you catch this? Fasting is something that we do in repentance to be closer to God. Rend your garments. Repent. Come near to me. And watch and see the blessing that I pour out on you. There's much more that we could glean from Scripture. If you pick up one of these fasting packets on your way out, the first um, devotional for tomorrow gets a lot more into the Scripture. I encourage you to pick one of those up and just read through it. I want to ask you a few questions as we get ready to close out this morning. You don't you just answer these internally. don't have to raise your hands. Are you in need of a healing or a miracle? Do you want the tender touch of God in your life? Is there a dream inside of you that only He can make possible? Are you in need of a fresh encounter? Do you desire a deeper, more intimate, and powerful relationship with the Lord? Do you need to break bondages that have been holding you hostage? Is there a friend or a loved one who needs salvation? Do you desire to know God's will for your life? I believe if you answered yes to any of those, that you have scriptural support for taking a fast. Oh, beloved, this is a discipline that cannot be understated. Consider what Jesus that Jesus started his earthly ministry, and one of the very first things that he did was fast. The Holy Spirit led him out into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights. If Jesus could have accomplished all that he came to do without fasting, why would he fast? He set an example for us as the Son of Man. I believe Jesus knew that there were supernatural things to be unlocked and released through fasting. That is, fasting strengthens prayer. We almost always see prayer and fasting coupled together. Fasting with prayer puts you into the best possible position for a breakthrough. And when Jesus' disciples couldn't deliver a demon-possessed boy, Jesus rebuked them and He said, This kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. Matthew 17, 21. There's no doubt in my mind that Jesus went into the wilderness to prepare himself for the mission that God had sent him to do. And if Jesus needed to fast, how much more do we? You see, fasting isn't just meant to be a New Year's thing. 
It's become that. I think it's a great thing that churches embark on that. But it's meant to be a lifestyle that releases God's power and blessings. And when you feel yourself growing spiritually dry or when you don't sense that anointing, when things aren't going your way or you, you need a breakthrough, it's time to fast. Fasting is that key that unlocks heaven's doors and slams shut the gates of hell. Some of you need to unlock some things. Some of you need some things closed. Some of you have been dry. Physical obedience will bring about a spiritual, spiritual release. Physical obedience will bring about the spiritual breakthrough. There's a connection between what we do in the natural realm and what happens in the spiritual realm. We could get into that. There's, a, there's lots of sermons we can get into about God using things, obedience in the physical, in the natural realm, and bringing about a spiritual breakthrough. I don't know about you, but from time to time I need breakthroughs. They may be in the realm of emotions or personal habits. They may be in a practical area of life such as a relationship or something material like finances. Maybe a breakthrough in understanding a situation or a breakthrough in an answer to a problem, an idea, an insight, a breakthrough in health. If you have any need in your life, you need a breakthrough that God can meet. And fasting and prayer can break the yoke of bondage and bring about a release of God's presence, His power, and His provision in the heavenly realm. 